Our Father, it is that place that we have just sung about that you call your throne. The writer of Hebrews calls it a place of availability. For it is where we can come at any moment and any time. And there we can find grace and mercy to help in time of need. It's, it's available. It's a place of blessing. Because it is there that we capture the very ear of the Creator of all that there is. He listens to us. It's a place that has been prepared. For it is through the finished work, through the blood of the Lamb, that we have complete access to you and you alone. We recognize your magnificence. We proclaim your holiness. And we really do thank you for allowing us to come into your presence. We've already rehearsed of how great you are. Our voices have been lifted in praise to your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. We've been blessed to be able to sing it is by the blood of King Jesus, whereby our sins are washed away. And it is by your blood that we come to this place, this throne, where the God of the universe sits enthroned and all of heaven is filled with his very wonder. It's a place that we can come and ask. It's a place that we can come and mediate for place where we can come to cast our burdens. And all of us have been blessed by those opportunities. And this morning, we, we would like to come and mediate on behalf of other people, Lord. We, we call it that we'll pray for them. But I would rather think that we're there to mediate for them. We would lift up to you our dear little sister Zoe, who's been through some pretty difficult physical situations. Her body is not functioning well. You may not, we may not be able to tell that because of her vibrancy of still bouncing around church this morning. But yet her mom and her dad have asked us to mediate on her behalf before you, O oh Lord, for an anticipated doctor's visit Wednesday of next week. We trust that that visit 
will hold answers. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would direct and guide the physicians and, and all that Zoe and her parents talk to. May they be able to come up with a viable solution to the problems that she is having. I pray, God, that you would use Zoe. Her name speaks of grace. That you would use her as an instrument of your righteousness. That you would touch her. That you would heal her. And that you would encourage her family as they see the wonder of your hand move in their midst. We rejoice, O Lord, with our dear sister Ruth Bush, who had a tumor removed from her adrenal gland, and we're thankful that the preliminary testing has showed that it was not and is not cancer. We ask for her continued healing. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would strengthen her in these days of healing. Now it's time for her husband to minister to her. From the many times that Ruth has ministered to her husband. Draw them, Lord, together. Draw them to your side. May there be a rich pouring out of your blessing upon them as they wait upon you for the full healing that is coming their way. We thank you, our Father, this morning, too, for Mark and Jill, Jocelyn and Autumn and Gabriel being with us. It's good when family comes to visit. We thank you for the way that you have used them in the place that you have them. We're grateful for the lives that they are touching. I thank you, God, for the, for the talents and the gifts that you've given to them that causes them to go to the upper ranges of the camp and look out over it and say to their hearts, this is home. We're grateful, Lord, that you've directed them to where you will use them mightily for your kingdom. We thank you for the words and the challenge that Mark gave to us this morning about what it is to surrender all to Jesus Christ, no matter the cost. And may his words, spoken, Lord, through a heart that has been touched by those words, may those words touch our hearts as we ponder upon them and as we think of all that you have done for us, what is it, O oh Lord God, that we can do for you? 
We again thank you and pause to praise you, Lord, for your word. It's your love letter to us. It's basic instruction before leaving earth. And we're grateful that we have the freedom to meet today. As we continue in our study that we have been a part of for a number of weeks, I pray, O oh God, that we would be again taught by your Spirit. We would understand what the Bible has to say. And so God, bless this morning for your honor and for your glory. And we will praise you and thank you in your matchless name. Amen. I may direct you to please take your Bibles and turn to the book of 1 Timothy, please. I want to read a passage for you before we get into our study. 1 Timothy chapter 3. I'll be reading from verse 1 down to verse 13. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach. Not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. But let these also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderous, temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husband of one wife, ruling their children and their own homes well. For those who have served well as deacons attain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. This morning I want to continue on, if you will, in our study that we're pursuing on what does the Bible say about things. In this particular four-part sermon, when we talk about government, we're, remember we're referring to a system of management. When it comes to personal government, we looked at that as being 
what it is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Then we looked at family government, when we looked at the roles and the responsibilities of husbands, wives, and children. And this morning I want to look at what does the Bible say about church government. Next week, Lord willing, we will focus on civil government. If you want an assignment for that, read Romans chapter 13. That will give you an assignment of civil government. But what does the, say, what does the Bible say about church government? When we speak of the issue of church government, we're focusing on what the Bible has to say about a system of management in the local church. A local church does not function as God intended it if, it doesn't, if the system of management is not following the proper mandates outlined in the Word of God. In the, in the church government, there are three biblical levels of leadership. The Scripture is very clear Concerning these, we have read about two of them, the first being elders. Elders are best understood as a group of spiritually mature men who oversee the preservation, dissemination, and application of spiritual truth to the church body as well as set church policy. Elders are a group of faithful men who, according to the Word of God, are charged to take the spiritual leadership, if you will, of the local church. They are to make sure that what comes across this pulpit doesn't sound good. It had better be backed up by what God says. They also rule on spiritual matters and see that the ministry of the church is being carried forward. Now, you may have come through from a, another church background where elders really aren't called elders. They, they may be referred to as deacons. And then deacons will be referred to as trustees. We here at Grace Community Church refer to the two offices as elder and deacon. In fact, the word bishop that is, that is written here for us in 1 Timothy chapter 3 can also be translated elder. The second group are deacons and deaconesses. Men, they are men and women who serve the needs of the congregation through the church's ministries. In most churches, deacons also take the responsibility for the physical well-being of the church. I am heartily impressed by this group of individuals, both deacons and deaconesses. Too often in the local church, they are viewed as being 
second level, less than, if you will, of elders. And I, I don't like that position. That's why I like to call our, our deacons and our elders, I call them a leadership team. They do function differently. They do. But if you were able to sit in some of our meetings, you would recognize the fact that the deacons have just as much spiritual insight as the elders. And it's wonderful to have them work together. And deaconesses, I would like to see a show of hands of how many of you in this church have been blessed by the ministry from the deaconesses. They are, they are wonderful people. They make some of the best food. <laughs> it's amazing. But they do other things too. When you go over to the fellowship hall, all the tables are already set up and decorated and ready to go. None of you saw them do that, and they didn't do it so that you would be fully impressed. They did it because they wanted to make this event with the Ottingers something special. And that's what they do. And they're wonderful people. The, the third one is the one that scares me the most. It's this one. Pastor, teacher. The reason it scares me is because I'm one of them. And this one is, Pastor Isaac has it nailed down. I'm still learning. It's this one. It's the person who leads and coordinates the ministry and who serves as the primary spiritual leader. That's what scares me. The primary spiritual leader. So many churches have fallen by the wayside because the pastor-teacher has determined to take them contrary to the Word of God. And the effects of that are generational. I've said it often, and Pastor Isaac and I would fully agree that if there's ever a time that anything from this pulpit is preached that runs contrary to the Word of God, then, then you must shut us down. We, we're not allowed that privilege. We've not been given that charge. We've only been charged with making sure that what we share comes from the Word of God. And God says, thus saith the Lord. The second thing that we're in charge of is this, is that we're charged with teaching the Word of God faithfully and with leading the church to fulfill its ministry and vision from God. These, But what these three levels of leadership have in common is this. They are called to oversee and direct the process of discipleship. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2 
and in verse 2. It says, And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That word that's translated men there, in reality, in the Greek, literally means mankind. It doesn't just refer to only men in the church. It means mankind. So that means the leadership team of this church is responsible for passing on to every one of you who sit in the pew things that you can pass on to other people for the purpose of fulfilling the ministry of Grace Community Church. That's our task. That's what we have been called to do. And so, with this, I want to look at, if you will, four leadership principles that we as a leadership team are involved with. The first one is, obviously, leaders oversee discipleship. We just found that out. We just looked at that. Leaders are to pass on the truth. In 2 Timothy 1.4, it says, The good that was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. And then, of course, 2 Timothy 2 and, and verse 2, we are to pass on that which we have heard to faithful individuals. The leaders are also supposed to be the guardians of the truth. We are to make sure that the truth of the Word of God is proclaimed. Leaders are to be faithful to the truth. In other words, the old antage, don't, don't do as I do, do as I say, doesn't match the prescription, if you will, of the Scriptures. If as a leadership team, if we are not living the way that we should be, you should call us on carpet. In fact, you should most likely ask us for our resignation. Because the Scripture is clear. We are to be examples of our lives as well as our words. We are to oversee leadership. The second thing we're supposed to do as leaders is we are to shepherd. We are to shepherd. In 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through the first part of, of 2, it talks about over, exercising oversight to oversee the flock as a good shepherd. In Acts chapter 20, verses 28 to 29, 
we are to exercise protection. And that in those two verses, the Apostle Paul is warning the elders at the church at Ephesus, whom he is about ready to leave. He's warning them concerning that when he goes, there will be wolves who will come in and want to devour the church. And then he also said, be careful because there will also be those in the church who will rise up and from their own greediness will begin to produce wrong teachings. So as leaderships, as shepherds, we are to exercise protection. We are to protect you. And the last one in 1 Peter 5, the second part of verse 2 to 3, is that we are to do this with compassion. Not in any way of, of gaining greed. We're not supposed to be greedy. It's, it's not about whether we have a BMW in our parking lot. That's not what it's about. It's we're to do it because we love you. And I can tell you from the bottom of my heart, and Pastor Isaac and I have prayed together and and sought the Lord together men numerous times and and hearing the prayers of the leadership team on the second Tuesday of, of every month, I guarantee you, you are loved. We're not there for anything else but for compassion. Compassion of seeing what God wants to do with us as a group of people. And so for that reason, we're so very thankful that the the third thing that we as leaders do is we deal with problems. Can I get an amen from the congregation? That's, we, we deal with problems. Why would there be problems in the church? Because there's people in the church. Warren Wiersbe used to say that ministry would be fun if it wasn't for people. But you can't have you can't have ministry without people. But with people, you have problems. And the in conflict is inevitable. It, it happens. In fact, turn with me not to Genesis 18. Turn to Exodus 18. I'm sorry, I typed in the wrong information there. It should be the book of Exodus. Exodus is right next to Genesis but Exodus chapter 18, we see conflict. And we see an example of that conflict as it faces Moses. In chapter 18, verses 13, it says, And so it was on the next day that Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood before Moses from morning until evening. So when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did for the people, he said, what is, this thing he, what is this thing that you are doing for the people? Why do you do it alone? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand before you from morning until evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. And when they have a difficulty, they come to me and I judge between one and the other and I make known the statutes of God and his laws. There was conflict 
that Moses had to deal with. You think you got it bad? Morning until evening. It's like having six children in a car traveling 3,000 miles. He's touching me. She did this. Oh, he just spit on me, drool coming out of the mouth. But that's morning till evening. At least in the car, parents can turn around and say, if you don't stop this, I'm going to break your legs. No, we, we say things we don't mean. But And Jethro sees Moses and says, what in the world are you doing? You're killing yourself. Well, but there's always a solution to the conflict. In verses 19 and 20 of this same chapter, it says, Listen now to my voice, and I will give you counsel, and God will be with you. Stand before God for the people so that you may bring the difficulties to God. And you shall teach them the statutes and the laws, and show them the way in which they must walk and work they must do. Moreover, you shall select from all the people able men such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such of place excuse me, place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, of fifties and tens, and let them judge the people all the time. The problem is, is that the tragedy today is that we have too many Christians who are being defeated by, not delivered through, they're being defeated by life's problems. The reason they're being defeated is either they don't know the Word of God or they don't know how to apply the Word of God or they simply refuse to apply what they know. That, means, that leads us to the fourth one, is this. Leaders are to oversee the application of the truth. The preaching of the truth without the application of the truth is nothing more than dead orthodoxy. The application of the truth is what transforms lives for the Lord Jesus Christ. It's taking what God says and infusing my life with that command in order that I live not by my flesh, but I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Leaders are to oversee that. I just read for you the example that was given. These group of men were to make or to make decisions all the time. And then the most difficult ones would have been brought to Moses for clarification. You see, the task of these leaders was to oversee and carry out the application of God's truth in the people's lives. 
What's interesting, it's the same is true today. I want you to go back to 1 Timothy chapter 3 in closing. We'll not read the first 13 verses again, but we will pick the narrative up at verse 14. First Timothy 3 and verse 14. These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and then received up in glory. The phrase on how you should conduct yourself in the church is the leadership's chore of the application of the church. It's something like this. For the church to function as it is intended to function, the church must have godly leaders, capable, godly men and women who will accept responsibility and represent Jesus Christ in his church, and in the larger culture of the world. That is what the Word of God has to say concerning government in the church. For Grace Community Church and for any church to function under the clear definition of the Word of God, these things must be heeded because this is how God works. We as a church, we are to be examples of kingdom life. The world is supposed to be able to see us and see Jesus Christ being lived in and through us. But that can only happen if personal government is strong, family government is strong, which leads to strong church government. Next, we will look and see about civil government and what is our response to our government of this day. Let's pray together. Father, again, it is great to see and to know and to hear what your word has to say about our lives. Not only personally, but family, but now church. I pray, O oh God, that Grace Community Church would be fully and continually established 
upon the principles of your word that your name would be honored, that your vision would be carried out, that people would come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. Lord, may we never rise above your word. May we only, O Lord, follow underneath the direction of your word. And as a leadership team, may it always be our goal to shepherd faithfully the way that you've called us to do. As examples of how you shepherd us, may we shepherd your sheep in these days ahead. And we'll thank you and praise you, O Lord God.